Hello, beautiful people of the internet. This is your podcast editor um, and magic worker. That's that's gay. Hello, beautiful people of the internet. This is Justin, part of the John and Jordan on Justice podcast. Uh, this week, there's no podcast. Uh, we'll just be listening to uh, case law updates that Jordan did a while back. You can find the full videos on our YouTube page. John and Jordan are on vacation right now, trying to get some uh, much-needed rest uh, right before we start going into trial uh, these next coming months. Uh, it's well-deserved and, like I said, well-needed for them. Uh, Jordan is celebrating 10 years with his lovely wife, Jill, and John is back in his hometown of Virginia seeing some family. Uh, we'll be back next week for sure, uh, so stay tuned for then. Follow us on social media. And welcome back. Today is May 19th, 2022. I'm Jordan Redavid from the John and Jordan on Justice podcast here with a little bit of a brief case law update. If you practice in the state of Florida yesterday, May 18th, the Florida's third district court of appeal issued its opinion in Jones versus Irvalino. Now, look, this is not a personal injury or wrongful death case, but it does touch on a recent amendment to rule procedure 1.510A which in Florida is the equivalent of federal rule 56 governing summary judgment. As many of you know, last year in 2021, the Florida Supreme court made substantial amendments to the rule. And I think in spirit, it was to bring it closer together to its federal counterpart, but it actually went a step further. Whereas federal rule of civil procedure 56 says that courts granting or denying motions for summary judgment should explain their rulings. The Florida rule now says they shall, it's a must mandatory. And what we see here in the Jones case that just came out is an example of what could happen if a trial court does not sufficiently explain its ruling. And really what we see happening is, unfortunately, for the courts and the parties involved, a pretty substantial waste of time to go through an entire plenary appellate process when, but the remedy, the win is go back to the trial court and now have the trial court actually explain the ruling. So this is the case involving probate. Somebody passed away. There was an issue over wills and who's the beneficiary. That doesn't matter so much for our discussion today. What matters is there was a motion for summary judgment filed. It was granted, but in the oral pronouncement and the subsequent written order explaining it, it really just had a sentence which said it's denied, this kind of conclusory uh, statement. It went up on appeal and the third district, all three judges who heard it, decided to reverse and remand. And basically they went through and they explained that while they are very sympathetic to the busy trial dockets of, of trial courts and the lack of resources, nevertheless, the recent amendments to the rule are pretty plain in terms of their language. And courts must explain their rulings with enough specificity to provide guidance. And I think that's the critical term that I take away from the holding, which is they're not telling courts what to say or how to say it, just give the parties and more importantly, the appellate court who might have to review that ruling enough guidance as to what arguments you found persuasive, what facts you relied on or didn't rely on so that the record is sufficiently crystallized. Now, for those of you that either practice exclusively or routinely in federal court, this may kind of be a head scratcher to you because you're probably accustomed to federal district courts or federal magistrates issuing very thorough orders uh, ruling on summary judgment. But for those in state courts in Florida, for years, this was just not a thing. Summary orders were kind of permissible, and that was the standard. But with the rules changing, we need to change our pattern of practice. Now, 
What does this mean for the lawyers out there? Whether you represent plaintiff or defendants, it doesn't matter. It means the same thing, which is you may disagree with the substantive outcome of a trial court's summary judgment ruling. Let's say you move for a summary judgment, but the trial court denied it or vice versa. Nevertheless, take great care if the court asks you to propose the order. And conversely, if the court asks the other side to propose the order, you might want to carefully review it with a discerning eye, not to nitpick the language in as much as to make sure that the language provides enough specificity so that an appellate court can adequately rule on the merits later. Now, that's one way of trying to avoid this. I think another one is in the off chance that a trial court doesn't give the parties the opportunity to provide the proposed order it's going to enter. There are many trial judges out there who write their own orders, and that's great. But if an order comes out that you feel doesn't meet muster, then I think it's incumbent upon you to maybe file a motion, not necessarily for reconsideration, right? If there's not a good faith basis to say you got, you know, you overlooked a fact or a law, then then don't ask for reconsideration, but ask for clarification. You know, trial courts can revisit their non-final orders at any time. They could revisit any order at, at any time unless it's been uh, jurisdiction's been taken away because an appeal has been initiated. So maybe take it upon yourself to just kindly remind the judge, Hey, look, take a look at this case, the new rule. It's a lot of work. I know, but we need a better explanation because the appellate court's going to send it back and we don't want to waste 18 months or longer waiting for that just to come right back here for a mandate to say, Hey, can you please write the order? I think a more extreme remedy that could be available in the right case. So let's say a judge, doesn't give the parties an opportunity to write the order. It issues its own order. You feel that order is too conclusory and insufficient. You move for clarification and the court you know, denies it or doesn't sufficiently clarify it. I think potentially an extreme form of remedy or an extraordinary one would be to seek a petition for writ of mandamus. You know, It's an extraordinary writ, which at bottom is designed to have an appellate court require the trial court to follow the law. And in this example, now that the rule has been amended with the plain language, and now that we have a panel decision out of the third, which is not yet final, I'll confess, but I don't see any reason for it to change. Now you've got a good faith basis to say, judge, you know, it's not me, it's the rule of procedure, it's the case out of the third, and let's all save the time here. So hopefully it doesn't have to get to mandamus, but nevertheless, this is going to come up in all different types of civil cases all across the state, probably for a couple of years until people who are predominantly state practitioners or have long been state judges and haven't been in federal court in a while until we all get used to it. So there's a learning curve as with change comes an opportunity. So I think this is a good opportunity for everyone to remind themselves, beef up your motions, make sure the facts are nice and clean, the law well set out and explained and give the judge maybe a really good roadmap. That way, when he or she goes to write their order, if they don't ask you to do it, they can almost use your motion or the response to a motion as the model and uh, and avoid this altogether. So I wanted to get this out before the weekend. As many of you know, yesterday, the Florida Supreme Court issued its decision in Dial versus Calusa Palms. This, of course, was the case that had been pending review on a certified question from the Second District Court of Appeal. And the question was pretty simple. Does the analysis and holding of Jorg, the 2015 case that held that evidence of collateral benefits as applied to future medical expenses is inadmissible, does that apply to past medical expenses? And the answer by the majority of the court was no. Now, there is a singular dissenting opinion by Justice Labargo, who does talk about footnote seven from Jorg, which said back then we don't see a difference, a factual difference between future and past medical expenses. But a majority of the court felt differently yesterday when they issued their opinion. And what's the takeaway here for practitioners? Well, it's pretty simple. If you represent a plaintiff who receives certain medical 
medical care in the past, and let's say the care billed was 100,000, if he or she received the benefit of Medicare and the amount left owed is only 10,000, then the jury's gonna hear about that $10,000 number. Now, you know, one, one aspect of the majority opinion that makes a lot of sense, which is that uh, whereas in future entitlement to Medicare benefits is a bit speculative, it's not speculative at all in the past. He or she either received it or they didn't. But what the majority doesn't really delve deep on and Justice LaBarga does is it nevertheless invites some prejudice by the jury because when they start hearing about evidence of collateral benefits, they might be misled to think, hey, if the amount left is only $10,000, then maybe the care wasn't that serious or the injuries weren't that serious. So the takeaway from the dial opinion is this, Jorg no longer applies to past medical expenses. Those days are done. The footnote seven from Jorg has kind of been eviscerated in terms of its meaning. And if you are a plaintiff personal injury lawyer out there, you need to be aware of this change because you may be on the verge of about to try a case or helping your client decide, making an educated you know, decision, should we take the settlement off or go to trial? And if your case was really heavily resting on the idea that you could put up to the jury the full amount billed, but now you know that you can't do that, this is something you need to be aware of. So it's a very short opinion by the majority. I think it's very clear what the holding is. And we'll see how you know this plays out through the trial courts and, and whether or not there's some uh, gray area in the future. That being said, I hope everyone has a great rest of the week and a better weekend. Till next time, over and out.